0: I'm excited that this summer we are looking at the Sermon on the Mount. I always like it when we take a big hunk of scripture and really dive into it to see if we can understand what it says and how we can apply that to our own lives. One of the problems though is, of course, we're doing this all summer, and so it means that every week we just take a little hunk of the Sermon on the Mount, one topic or a couple paragraphs and try to uh, teach on them and to understand them. So you never get to, you know, sort of see the whole, the whole picture. And in fact, you know, it's not even going to be in order as we teach it this morning, this uh, summer in the various locations. Uh, so that's a bit of a problem. And so I would encourage you, if you get a chance, to, to read through the entire Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, to kind of get a bigger feel for it. But one problem with that is we sort of forget that the Sermon on the Mount wasn't written, it was spoken. It's what Jesus said to a group of people. So what I'd like for you to do today is to kind of use your sanctified imagination and carry yourself back 2,000 years to Galilee in Israel. At the time of Jesus, and maybe you live in some little village and you've heard about Jesus, but you don't know too much about him, but word is that Jesus is there somewhere in Galilee. So the next morning you get up early and you walk maybe for a few hours around the north end of the Sea of Galilee and you come to this grassy kind of steep hillside that goes down to the Sea of Galilee and you gather with all these people who are gathered waiting there expectantly and find the word starts to come that, you know, Jesus has come. Now when Jesus saw the crowds he went up on a mountainside and sat down his disciples came to him and he began to teach them he said blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you, when men shall revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so men persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. (laughs) But if the salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? I mean, it's no longer good for anything to be thrown out and trodden underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. I mean, a city set on a hill cannot be hid. Nor do men light a lamp and and put it under a bushel, but on a stand. And it gives light to all those in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Think not that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not a not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all has been accomplished. Whoever then relaxes the least of these commands and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But he who teaches them and does them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. For that it was said, you shall not kill, and whoever kills shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother shall be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother shall be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, shall be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're bringing your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gifts. Make peace quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be thrown in prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You've heard that it was said to the men of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully he has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, throw it away. It would be better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It would be better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell also said whoever divorces his wife let him give her a certificate of divorce but I say to you whoever divorces his wife except on the ground of unchastity makes her an adulteress and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery you've heard that it was said you shall not swear falsely but shall perform to the Lord that which you have sworn but I say to you swear not at all Either by heaven, for that's God's throne, or by the earth, for that is God's throne, or, or by his foot, by, by Jerusalem, for that is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your own head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. What you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. You've heard that it was said, An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist one who is evil. But if anyone would strike you on the right cheek, ow, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your coat, give him your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go with one mile, go with him two miles. Give to him who begs from you. And do not refuse him who would borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your enemies, love your neighbors, and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his Son to rise on the just and on the unjust, and sends his rain on the evil and on the good. For if you love only those who love you, what reward have you? I mean, do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you salute only your brethren, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. So beware of practicing your piety before men in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, um, when you give alms, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, that they may be praised by men. Oh, truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give alms, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, that they may be seen by men. (laughs) Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who hears in secret will reward you. And in praying, do not be like the hypocrites because they, with their many words. They think that they will be heard by piling up many words. Do not be like them. For your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. A Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting may be seen by men. (gasps) Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see, the eye is the light of the body. So if your eye is sound, your whole body will be full of light. But... If your eye is not sound, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You see, nobody can serve two masters, right? Either he'll love the one and hate the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life saying, what should we eat or what should we drink or or about your body, what you should wear? I mean, isn't life more than food? The body more than clothing? Look, consider the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add one cubit to a span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. I mean, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is cast into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious saying, what should we eat or what should we drink or what should we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all those things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be yours as well. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Let tomorrow be anxious for itself. Let the day's own troubles be sufficient for the day. Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye and don't see the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, oh, here, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. So ask, and it will be given you. Seek, you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. For which man of you, if, if his son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or, or if he asked for a fish, would give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that men would do for you, do so for them. This is the law and the prophets. So enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruit. I mean, are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles? So every sound tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears evil fruit. I mean, a sound tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can an evil tree bear good fruit. And every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the oven. And thus you will know them by their fruits. You see, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name and I will say to them I never knew you depart from me you evildoers whoever then hears these words of mine and does them will be like like a wise man who, who built his house upon a rock And the rains came and the floods rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall because it was founded on a rock. But everybody who hears these words of mine and does not do them, is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rains came And the floods rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. pretty amazing teaching isn't it and i'm glad we're getting a chance this summer to really dig into it in the few minutes we have left we're going to be looking at a passage which actually is printed in your bulletin uh, this morning it's where jesus talks about anger and about killing And let's see if we can kind of get a running start into that passage so we sort of follow Jesus' reasoning. You remember, he begins his teaching with what we call the Beatitudes, in which he says that the people who are blessed by God are not the powerful people, not the wealthy, not the celebrities, not even the religious people. The people who are blessed by God are the people who are pure of heart and meek and merciful and who are peacemakers. And then once he's sort of shown that things are not the way you might think they are, he makes this incredible statement. He says that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now to the people who heard Jesus say that, that would have been mind-blowing. Because who were the righteous people? If you had taken a survey among that multitude of people that day, 99 out of 100 people, maybe 100 out of 100, would have said, "You know, who are the righteous people? They would have said, well, um, the scribes and the Pharisees, right? They were the righteous people. And now Jesus is saying, your righteousness has got to be greater than the scribes and the Pharisees. Wow. I mean, those were shocking words. That was a new idea. So Jesus goes on then in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount to sort of show what the righteousness of the Pharisees actually was and what our righteousness should be in the sight of God. So he goes back to the Old Testament, back to the Torah, back in fact to the Ten Commandments and he says, okay, in the Old Testament it says you shall not kill. In the NIV version that we use around here it uses the word murder. You shall not murder. Now obviously sometimes... Killing is okay. Um, in fact, God says that a human life is worth so much that if you take someone's life, your life should be forfeited. Back in Genesis chapter nine and verse six, it says this: "Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man." So there is a time when killing is right, or maybe in a just war. But the kind of murder that Jesus is talking about, when He says, "Okay," It's not just a matter of not killing, right? So for the for the Pharisee, that's one of the boxes he would check off. He wants to show God that he is a righteous man, and so he tries very hard to keep every law in the Old Testament and all of the minutia of law that they have added to it so he can check off the boxes. So he goes to the Old Testament. He says, ah, it says you shall not murder. I have never murdered. And he checks that off, right? And I would guess if I ask of you, you know, raise your hand if you've never committed murder. Probably most of you would be able to raise your hand to that. I don't know. But probably you would be able to say, you know, I've never committed murder. Jesus says, though, so to the Pharisees and to us, uh, that's good. But have you ever been angry with your brother? Now, again, the word angry that he uses there is, uh, you know, sometimes anger is okay. It talks about God being angry. Sometimes anger is a good thing. But what it's talking about here when it talks about being angry at your brother, it's talking about the kind of anger that grows in our hearts because... Our toes have been stepped on because we've been offended because someone has said something about us because our rights have been taken away because we feel like we've been hurt or we are jealous or envious or lustful of somebody else and an anger grows in us. Have you ever been angry at your brother? Have you ever insulted your brother? Jesus says. Have you ever demeaned him, put him down, called him an idiot, called him stupid, a moron? Cause that's what that word means that Jesus uses. Have you ever done that with your brother? Have you ever in your heart thought to yourself, I wish she were dead? Jesus is helping us to see that God isn't concerned just with that outward action. We maybe can say, yeah, I've never committed murder. But Jesus is saying, God is looking at your heart. God is asking us, have you ever been so angry with your brother that there was a root of murder there? And so then Jesus goes on to give two examples to help us understand that it's really important that we try to be reconciled with our brother. That in God's eyes, it's so important for us to try our best to live at peace with one another. In the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter 12, it says this, "...make every effort to live in peace with all men." I love how realistic the Bible is. At one point it, it says, So far as it lies within you, live in peace with all men. You, know? you may not be able to do it, but you need to take the responsibility, the initiative, in setting those broken relationships right. Two examples Jesus gives. The first one he says involves money. You owe somebody money. I am really glad Jesus used that example. I cannot tell you how many times over the 50 years that I've been in ministry, people have come into my office and they're really angry at their brother or their neighbor or their coworker, and the issue is money. They loaned them some money and they didn't get it paid back. They loaned them something and the person broke it and refused to get it fixed or to replace it, or they took an unfair share of the inheritance that should have been divided equally, and when you get down to it, they are so angry, and the issue is money. And Jesus is saying there's something a lot more important than money. He says don't even, don't even wait till it goes to trial. He says you need to go right away to your brother or your neighbor or your co-worker and you need to get that settled. The other example Jesus uses is someone coming to the temple in Jerusalem to, to offer a gift, a sacrifice to God. And remember to those people who were listening to Jesus 2,000 years ago, that was the epitome of their religious life. Their desire was to be able to go to Jerusalem and to go to the temple and to go into the temple court where God was and to bring their sacrifice and their offering and present it to God. That was so important to them. And Jesus says, if you come and you're bringing your offering to God and you realize that your brother has something against you, he says, just forget about the offering. You know, leave that sacrifice there and go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. I mean, for us too, doesn't it seem like a, you know, a high point for us is being able to come together and to worship God. And Jesus is saying there's some things that get in the way of that. And one of those things is when you are harboring that kind of anger and resentment, that kind of broken relationship with somebody in your life. He says, before you come to worship, you need to go and get that straightened out. Let me challenge you in that area in your life. What if before you came to worship next Sunday morning, you spent some time, Saturday evening maybe, just letting God shine the light in your heart and asking him, are there things in my life that are getting in the way of my worshiping you, of my relationship with you? You know, show me, God, if there are broken relationships where I need to work toward reconciliation. And when God shows you those things, commit yourself to doing your part, to take in the initiative to set that relationship straight. And then when you come to worship on a Sunday morning, I think it is so easy for us to fall into the mentality of the Pharisees and the scribes who thought that all that mattered was what was on the outside. And I think it's really easy for us to feel the same way, that all that matters really is I show up at church on Sunday morning. I'm there. And so when the worship leader says, let's all stand and worship together and we start to sing a song and as soon as the music starts, your mind is somewhere else. I I know it happens because it happens to me. And I can go through that whole song and never once have thought about the words that I'm singing. For those of you who are not singers, and I know from personal experience that some of you are not, we stand up and sing and you're just thinking about something totally different than that, right? Do you think God is honored by that? Do you honestly think that the God of creation, the holy God of the universe is honored when you just stand up and mouth some words that you don't mean and that you're not even thinking about? I think that rather than being honored by that, I would be offended if I were God. And the teacher gets up to teach. And as soon as he starts, where does your mind go? You're thinking about what time the game starts on television. How is God honored by your being here when your heart and your mind are far from Him? I think it's just like Jesus saying, you know, it's not enough just to bring your gift there to the altar. God's looking at your heart. I believe that a great definition of worship is to give our attention and our focus to God and it doesn't just happen. You have to be very intentional about it. So I would encourage you as you come next week as we continue our worship this morning to ask God to help you to focus on Him and to give Him the praise and worship that He deserves. In just a few minutes, we're going to be celebrating communion together. What a great and appropriate time for us to do that very self-examination that I've just been talking about. What if during those quiet moments you could say to God, God, show me the things in my life that are getting in the way of my relationship with you, which are blocking the kind of spirit-led and filled worship that I would like to give you. Confess those things that God brings to mind. Resolve in your heart with the help of God to set right those relationships with broken that have been broken for the sake of that other person, for the sake of your own soul, and for the sake of your relationship with God. Let's take a moment to, to pray to God right now. God, we confess to you that it's easy for us to feel pretty self-righteous because there's a lot of stuff like murder that we've never committed but when we realize you look at our hearts and our attitudes um, that's when you begin to step on our toes a little bit and we feel in our hearts convicted and so I, I would ask for myself and for these friends that you would shine the light of your love upon our lives and help us to see those things that need to be changed not so that you will love us more because you love us unconditionally but so that our lives might please you and honor you and that uh, there would not be things in our lives that would get in the way of our relationship with you and i would pray that that might be true you know even in these next few minutes and we pray in jesus name amen